Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Well, what a blessing it is to be with you on this Lord's Day. I'm looking forward to being in the Word with you this morning. I want to thank Asher for the invitation and your leadership team as well. I've known Asher for 15 years. We've been swinging swords together in the mission of God for some time, and it's great to see him again and just to see, to be witness to what God is doing in this church. I got a little bit of history as I was connecting with Asher about the church, and I saw with my own eyes yesterday as I went to a luncheon and had some time with some of your missions partners and I just believe you have a bright future. Um, you've got a great missions history, but it's exciting to see that you're not resting on the laurels of the past. And, and I really believe this. I told this to Asher several times, brother, you're in a sweet spot. Um, I, I believe that the best and most fruitful days in missions, folks, they're not behind you, they're in front of you. Amen? So thank you for inviting me in to see and witness, but also to be a small part of what God is doing in your church right now. So I currently have the honor of working with 1615, and if you're wondering about the name of that ministry, we're named after the reference in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 15, which says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. We are missions mobilizers and the reason our ministry exists is because there's a massive move in local churches, and it's been building for the last couple of decades, away from simply being request-driven in missions to becoming more strategy-driven. There are growing numbers of churches who are not content just to give money. They're not content just to serve in support roles. They want to actively engage the gifts and the talents and the passions of their entire congregations. And so by God's grace, over the last 20 years, we have been coaching churches everywhere, unleashing them to be central players and full partners in the mission of God. I spent 10 years as a missions pastor at a local church, and now 20 years at 1615, and it has been marvelous to see what God is doing in his church. People ask me about the state of the church in America, and I say there's a lot to lament. There's a lot to weep over. But there's also glimmers of hope. There's also churches like yours who are rising up in the midst of a very difficult time and they're continuing to spread the gospel. And so I am hopeful about what God has in store for his people in the coming years. I'm often asked when I'm traveling, are you on a business or pleasure trip? You ever get asked that question when you're traveling? In fact, when you buy a Southwest Airlines ticket online, it says business, pleasure, both. Well, when I'm asked that question, I simply respond with an affirmative nod of my head, and a resounding yes, because mobilizing the people of God into the mission of God is not only my job, folks, it's my joy. My business is my pleasure, and so thank you so much for the pleasure of serving you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We're going to read verses 14 through 24 together today. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. Romans 15, starting in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. 
But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. What are you known for? If I were to ask people who know you well what you are known for, what your priorities were, what you live for, what would their answers reveal about you? Think about that for just a moment. If I were to ask someone very close to you what you were all about, what would their answers reveal? Well, those who knew Paul the Apostle knew exactly what mattered most to him. In fact, if we look at the body of his New Testament writings, what clearly stands out can be summed up in five words, knowing Christ, making Christ known. Paul had gospel ambition. His heart was ablaze to know Jesus. He lived to worship him, and it was precisely his zeal to worship Jesus that fueled his mission's flame to see the nations glorify God for his mercy. This gospel ambition, it gave context and meaning and purpose and direction to all areas of Paul's life. It defined his mission, and it shaped how he lived. Now, I've summarized what gospel ambition is, knowing Christ, making Christ known. But in verses 20 through 23, we get a little more detail. Paul was controlled by gospel ambition. It says in verse 22, this ambition was the reason he was hindered from coming to Rome. And then in verse 23, it says, he longed for many years to visit the church in Rome. Now, when you long to do something for years and years and you don't do it, something else must be controlling you to the contrary, right? And what was it that was controlling Paul that kept him from going to Rome? It was gospel ambition. He had not yet finished his work of making Christ known in the regions from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And he says in verse 24 that he no longer has room in these regions for work. So now I'm freed to head to Spain and to see you as I pass through. 
Paul had this consuming passion to preach the gospel to those who had never heard his name from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and he would not turn from this ambition until it was fulfilled. And now his work is done in these regions, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. And his ambition is now taking him to Spain, where Christ is not yet preached. And so finally, he is freed to visit the church in Rome and enjoy their fellowship for a while. Do you have gospel ambition? Do you have passionate desire to see peoples who have never heard of him trust him and treasure him? and be saved by him, and glorify him for his mercy? Or do you think this, well, I love Jesus, but missions is not my thing. I mean, I know it's important, but that's not what I'm called to, and so maybe you give yourself the I'm not an apostle pass. Is gospel ambition something that all of God's children should even possess, or is it just for some of God's children? Well, let's dig in a little deeper and find out. What we see in verse 21 is that Paul's gospel ambition was founded and fueled by Scripture. Verse 21 says, Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So again and again in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, and here in verse 21, Paul quotes Old Testament prophecy to remind us that the gospel is for all peoples, not just Israel. In fact, this is a quote, as I said, of Isaiah 52, verse 15, Old Testament prophecy. And this is amazing to me. It is very noteworthy. We know from several references in the book of Acts that Paul had an encounter with the risen Christ on the Damascus Road, right? The Damascus Road experience. He has a vision of the risen Christ. He gets knocked to his fanny. He's blinded. He's restored. He's saved. And then God gives him this mission to be a light to the Gentiles. Now think about this. Paul's calling as a missionary came directly from Jesus. And yet here in Romans 15, he doesn't talk about what happened on the Damascus Road. I probably would have done that. I would have said, I, I got a direct message from Jesus to take the gospel to the nations. But he doesn't do that. He goes to Isaiah 52, 15. He says, I have this ambition because Isaiah 52, 15 says, those who've never been told will see and those who have never heard will understand. Here's the point. Paul's gospel ambition was founded and fueled by the word of God. And here's the point. We shouldn't be waiting around for a supernatural encounter to confirm our calling into missions. We will likely never have an experience quite like Paul had on the Damascus Road, at least not as spectacular. And I'm not suggesting that Jesus doesn't at times meet his children in dramatic fashion. I have had a handful of intimate encounters with the presence of Jesus since he rescued me in 1993. And I treasure those times I've grown from those times. I pray for more of those times. But we do not need a Damascus Road experience to convince us that we should care about the world. We have more Bible than Paul had. And the Bible tells us that the gospel must reach those who've never 
heard. Folks, we do not need a voice. We have verses. Lots of verses that tell us that God is a missionary God. Oh, to God that the Bible would inform and inflame gospel ambition within us. I believe the Bible is the best missions mobilizer if read and taught as one master story. Did you know the Bible is one story? There's many subplots, but there's one plot line. There is one meta-narrative, as the Greeks call it, the master story, the overarching story, the arc of Scripture, and it is a story of redemption. It is a story about God calling forth worshipers from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and Paul knew this, his gospel ambition that the nations would glorify God for his mercy was founded and fueled by Scripture. Second thing we see about this gospel ambition, it was focused on regions beyond. We see this in verses 14 through 19, and particularly in verse 23. So three times in verses 14 through 19, Paul writes about the focus, or you could say the object of his gospel ambition, and it is the Gentiles. This word is repeated three times in verses 14 through 19. The Greek word is ethnos, meaning ethno-linguistic groupings, ethnic groups, people groups with distinct languages and cultures that make it hard for the gospel to spread naturally from one to the other, which is precisely why the gospel must be exported. You see, if we just grow where we're planted, the unreached peoples of the world will never hear. Yes, we should grow where we're planted, but we must take the gospel into the nations. And this word, ethnos, is the same word that Jesus uses when he gives the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, 18 and 19. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of. You can speak. All the nations. Panta ta ethne. It's a call to take the gospel into every nation, tribe, and tongue. Folks, the goal of the Great Commission is not just to make disciples, period. It's to make disciples of all the nations. And oftentimes we domesticate the Great Commission by leaving off the object. We're called to make disciples of all nations, and Paul knew this. He says in verse 19, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a profound statement. I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. And then verse 23, he says something totally crazy. I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Now, what does Paul mean? No room for work? Were the churches that Paul planted fully mature churches? You can answer again. No. I mean, Corinth could have used him indefinitely, right? There were some real problems in Corinth. There were still tens and thousands of people who still needed to be evangelized in those regions. There was brokenness and lostness. There was tremendous needs, yes, but Paul made a distinction between evangelism and missions, and so should we. Both are necessary, hear me, but they're not the same. Paul was focused on Gentiles, people groups, living in regions beyond because in those regions, among those groups, there were no evangelizing churches. There was no witness of Jesus Christ. No one was sharing the gospel because there was no churches and no Christians. Now, it's worth noting what Paul told Timothy 
in 2 Timothy 4, 5. He tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was doing his work in regions where Paul had planted the church. He did not tell Timothy to do the work of a missionary. He said, you stay and grow and strengthen the church where it's already been planted. Evangelism and missions are both necessary for the life and vitality of the church and the world, but don't make them the same thing. George Murray, former chancellor of Columbia International University, has a few phrases that I think will be helpful to us. He says, evangelism is helping people believe in Jesus. Missions is helping people know there's a Jesus to believe in. You catch the difference? Evangelism is growing the church where it is. Missions is going where the church isn't. The essence of missions for Paul was going places where Christ was not already named. Did he care about evangelism, growing the church where he had planted it? You better believe it. He painstakingly wrote these letters of encouragement and exhortation to the churches that had been planted. He cared about church growth and church strengthening. He told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Don't go, Timothy. Your calling is to stay and to strengthen the church where it's already been planted. But Paul's gospel ambition was focused on peoples who didn't even know there was a Jesus to believe in. A question that I have heard more times than I can recall in my third years in missions mobilization is this, and it pains me to even say this question. Why are we going there when there's so many lost people right here? Why are we going to the Middle East when we've got our own headaches? There's so many needs right here. Our school systems are failing. Why are we going over there when there is so many needs right here? I wonder if Paul was ever asked that question. If he had been asked that question, here's how I imagine he would have answered, I'm going to those with no access to the gospel. I'm going to peoples where Jesus is not named. The people around you have you. Your neighbors, who may not even have heard a clear presentation of the gospel, have you. Just go out your door, cross the street. I'm going to those who have no access. You, do the work of evangelists. Be a disciple. Be the church. I'm going where there are no churches, in regions beyond. Today, folks, there remain 7,000 people groups, numbering nearly 3 billion souls who have little to no gospel access. They're gospel destitute. And I rejoice that your church is determined to reach some of them. These are people groups who cannot glorify God for his mercy because they don't know about his mercy. And among them, Jesus is unknown, He's unacknowledged, he's unworshipped, he's unadored, and they are not unreached because they are unreachable folks. They are unreached because the church, by and large, has chosen not to reach them. And my friends, this is unacceptable. A rough estimate of how many churches there are in the world today, evangelical churches, 
reveals that there's about 700 churches for every one unreached people group. Do you feel the weight of that? 700 churches. It's not a resource issue. It's a vision issue. We need a vision for the nations like Paul had. Third thing we see about this gospel ambition is that it is for every church and every child of God. It's for every church and every child of God. If it's not clear from the text we've already looked at, don't get the idea that every follower of Christ with gospel ambition should be sent as a missionary to regions beyond. Once again, he told Timothy, don't go. You need to stay where you're at and continue to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, be an evangelist, grow the church, and raise up more goers. If we love Jesus, we should have gospel ambition, namely this passion to see the nations glorify God for his mercy. But here's the thing. We all have different roles to play in God's story. We have different contributions to make. And I believe we see this in verse 24 of Romans 15. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So clearly Paul did not intend for everyone to go with him. He didn't expect them all to be missionaries, but he did want them to share in his gospel ambition. What did he mean when he said helping him on his journey? It meant doing whatever it would take to send Paul and to keep him there. It meant prayer, spiritual air cover. I love to hear that one of your core values, one of your cultural components is prayer. I've witnessed it myself. I've heard it and I've seen it. Sometimes I hear it, but you don't see it. I've heard it. I've seen it. And this is essential because, my friends, missions is cosmic warfare. No prayer, no power. Our workers on the front lines need spiritual air cover, and they need supply lines. They need finances. They need resources. They need encouragement. And we see this kind of sending and support in action in the church at Philippi. I want to draw some passages out of Philippians that I think reveal what he's asking for from the church in Rome. Listen to how Paul celebrates his partnership with the church in Philippi. Again, this is what I believe he's asking for from the Roman church. Philippians 4.10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So they're giving resources to Paul again. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So the opportunity surfaces and they seize it. Verses 14 through 16 also from chapter 4, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And who was it that brought these gifts, these resources to Paul? Well, it wasn't UPS, it was not FedEx, it wasn't the Postal Service, it was a personal visit by a man named Epaphroditus, a messenger of God's love sent by the church 
in Philippi to encourage Paul the missionary. In chapter 2, verse 25 of Philippians, it says this. This is how Paul describes him. My brother, my fellow worker, he ups it a notch, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. And then he sends him back to Philippi with these words, verse 29 and 30 of chapter 2, receive him in the Lord with all joy. It's a big deal. Receive him with joy, with all joy, and honor such men. Wow. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He almost died fulfilling this short-term mission trip to bring resources to Paul. And then it's interesting, in verse 30 it says, he completed what was lacking in your love for me. It almost seems like an indictment against this church, but it's not. Because if you look at Paul's letter, at the beginning of this letter to the church, he says, every time I think of the church in Philippi, I rejoice, I celebrate, I'm filled with joy And then he explains why. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So this is not an indictment. What it means is this. Nothing was lacking in their love for Paul or service to Paul except the delivery of that love in person. Epaphroditus was an ambassador of the church's love, a messenger of their gift, The whole church in Philippi, excuse me, yeah, the whole church in Philippi couldn't visit him. So they sent a representative, and he brought the gift of presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. He brought presence too, financial gifts, no doubt, but he brought the gift of presence. Now, did Epaphroditus have gospel ambition? You better believe it. The church in Philippi had gospel ambition. And Paul says, of this man, honor him. He is a soldier. Was he a missionary? Maybe a short-term missionary. But he didn't have Paul's calling to be on the front lines reaching those who've never heard. And yet, he was as much a part of that story as Paul was. So we're called to honor him. He risked his life to keep Paul doing what he was doing, and that calling, my friends, is some measure on all of us. It should be on every child of God. It should be something that every church cares about. The aim of gospel ambition, as Paul said in Romans 15, is that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. And to that end, God raises up missionaries like the ones you're sending to the Middle East. He raises up missionaries to take the gospel to the peoples around the world with no access to him. And he does that through churches and the people inside of them. Gospel ambition is for every church and every child of God. Not some churches, not some believers, but all churches and all children because missions is at the heart of Christianity. It's at the heart of the scriptures. It's at the heart of God himself If we want to be like Jesus, we cannot be indifferent to the cause of world missions. We often pray, God, make me like you. Make me like your son. 
if we're going to be like him, the things that matter to him must matter to us. We must have gospel ambition. I want to answer one final question as we wrap up this message. I started off by saying, gospel ambition, what is it? We talked about it, making Christ, make, um, knowing Christ, making Christ known. That's the distillation of it. And then we looked at what it was. It was founded and fueled by the Scriptures, focused on regions beyond. It's for every church and every child of God. One final question, where is it going? Where is gospel ambition going? Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 5. We're going to look at two verses, 9 and 10. And in this breathtaking passage, the Holy Spirit peels back the curtains of time and space and gives us a glimpse into the end that all of history is moving towards. And we see Jesus being worshipped with these words, Revelation 5, 9, and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. By the way, this is a song. They're singing a song. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is where history is headed. You want to know where it's all going? It's going right here. And we see the Lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the world, receiving the reward of his suffering. And what is that reward? It is worship that is flowing forth from the hearts of redeemed people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. This is the culmination of God's story. When in heaven, bowing down before the Lamb, alongside untold numbers of worshipers from around the world, there will be no doubt as to what God's ultimate mission was. And we will know then beyond the shadow of a doubt that this mission was the greatest movement in history. And when we witness with our own eyes the throne room of heaven, no child of God will be thinking this, I regret I was so passionate about the Great Commission. I regret that I gave so much money and I invested my time and energy to mobilizing God's people into his mission. I made too much of missions while on earth. I should have spent my time doing other things. No, no child of God will think that. But on that day, those who treated missions as unimportant, who said missions just isn't my thing. I love Jesus, but missions isn't my thing. Will wonder how they marginalized in life what was clearly one of the weightiest and most massive issues in the universe. They won't have an explanation for how they lived the way they lived. Now to be sure, all of God's children, born of grace, saved by faith, alone, through Christ alone, grace alone, they're going to behold this glorious throne room scene that we see right here, and all will rejoice. But I want to plant a seed in your head. I believe only those who had gospel ambition to see the nations glorify God for his mercy will have as a part of their heavenly inheritance the joy and delight of knowing that God worked in and through their lives to bring those worshipers into his presence. For them... The joy of the nations will be a shared joy. Their joy will be mingled with the joy of the nations. Some of you are storing up this type of inheritance right now. You're giving. I've heard the stories of your generosity. People groups are being one to Christ. 
These are people groups you'll never meet, some of you this side of heaven. Some of you might go on a short-term trip, but many of you will never meet the people groups that God is using you to reach until you see them in his kingdom. But as they worship, God will show you how your life was woven into their presence at the throne room. It will be a shared joy, and your heavenly crown will be brightened with the acclamations of praise that will redound to Jesus from people groups one to Christ because you had gospel ambition. And guess what you're going to do with that crown? You're going to drop it right at his feet. But it'll be shimmering with acclamations of praise pointing to Jesus from those nations saved through your giving and prayer and maybe some of you going. My friends, gospel ambition should give context meaning, and purpose to all of life. It should define our mission, guide our ministry, shape how we live here and now. There is nothing happening in the world more important than the mission of Jesus Christ. This story, this epic, unstoppable story of redemption is the centerpiece of God's plan for this age, which means it should be the focal point of all of his people. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.